0: Man, Thank you, Winter. Thank you, Joan. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is our last Sunday night message in this series on rightful authority. It's our 13th message. And uh, when I started, I I thought it was only going to maybe be five or seven messages. It's been a little bit longer. Uh, But I do the best I can to try to follow the Lord. Uh, Next Sunday night, if the Lord tarries, uh, I'm either going to start going through the book of 2 Timothy verse by verse, or got a couple of uh, doctrinal things that I've been thinking about uh, covering before we uh, do that, still praying, trying to find the mind of the Lord uh, in that, and uh, just pray for me, and either way, it'll be the Bible and it'll be good. Everything in the Bible is good. Understanding rightful authority, following rightful authority. Using rightful authority in a correct manner, those are all essential to living a life that God blesses. I hope you understand tonight, I say this quite often here, but we get eternal life by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. But if we are going to live a blessed life here, then we're going to have to choose to live our life in a manner that God said to live our life. There are a lot of people, they have faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to go to heaven when they die, but they live a miserable life here and now because they do not live their life in a manner that God said to live our life. And there are other people, they have no real faith in Jesus. They're going to die and go to hell someday. But because for whatever reason, by accident, by culture, because of their religion, they live in a manner that God said live your life, and they live a blessed life here and now, unfortunately it will have a terrible end. By the way, loving your wife is a good thing to do whether you're a Christian or not. It always works. Parents parenting their children. It is always a good thing, with or without God. Those are godly principles whether God is in them or not. And I don't know, I think I echo the view of the people here tonight when I say, I not only want to go to heaven someday when I die or go to be with Jesus if He comes back in the air for me tonight, Uh, and while I live, I want to live a life blessed by God. And so we've been talking about rightful authority. That is essential to living a blessed life. Remember, nobody can audibly hear God today. Nobody can visibly see God today. So what God did was He took and He gave us something that we can see and hear so that we would know where His authority is, and He gave us the Bible and then in the Bible, he set authorities up in different areas of our life. He has set husbands over their own wives. He set parents over their own children. He set pastors over the church where they pastor. Not all men are all over all women. Not all clergy over all lay people. Not all adults over all children. God established this order. And we've now spent weeks together talking in great detail about how to handle these roles in these different areas of life. Last week, we talked about the strong terms that God uses to describe the relationship that we have. Not just you and me, but that each of us have with our spiritual leaders. God uses strong words to describe those because God wanted His people to have a close relationship today. This whole idea that Christianity is something we do on our couch, through blogs and watching television screens, that's not real Christianity. Real Christianity, we involve and invest and intertwine our lives together as believers and followers in Jesus. And we work through our differences and we love one another and we learn to deepen our love for one another and for God because we spend time together and we expand the circle of our love to be people more than those who are just like us. One of our least favorite words, and it's a word we've used a lot in the, over the course of this series, is the word submit. We've talked about it a lot. It is one of our least favorite words. It's down there at the bottom of the barrel with words like obey and follow and suffer and sacrifice. But for those of us who are lovers of the Lord Jesus, we know that all those words have a proper application and place in our life. Did you know that submission of those who follow is not the only kind of submission that God has planned in our life? In fact, the word submit applies to a leader of every sort also. You know, sometimes people fail to fully understand and apply the Bible because we only pay attention to part of it. Stand, if you would, tonight in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought tonight is The Joy of Mutual Submission. The Joy of Mutual Submission. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Thank you. You might be seated. Now most of us here are pretty familiar with verses 22 to 25, the detailed instructions of how husbands and wives are supposed to interact. We have read those and talked about them several times over the course of this series. Uh, God could not have been any clearer when it comes to the roles that He intended for both husbands and wives to fulfill in our homes. Now people may be ignorant of this. Others may not like it, though they are aware of it. But those who attempt to do this are blessed, and there are few things more rewarding in life than a husband unconditionally loving his wife and a wife following the leadership of a husband who loves God and loves her. By the way, why don't you say amen right there. There are few things more beautiful in life than a husband unconditionally loving his wife and a wife following the loving leadership of her husband. Amen. Now somehow though, when we think about this, we generally overlook verse 21 when we talk about authority and submission. Verse 21, right ahead of verse 22, says, submitting yourselves one to another. In the fear of God Now I personally believe the four verse four things in verses 18 to 21 are linked to verse 17. Verse 17 is a complete sentence. It says, "Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is." And so if we would be wise, and if we would understand what God's will is, those four things, and verses 18 to 21, they're one sentence. There are four aspects of that one sentence that are all linked in some way to understanding God's will and being wise in God's sight. And that one sentence begins with verse 18 where he tells us to not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And that sentence ends with this mutual submission of verse 21 where it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You see, when we are wise and understand God's will, we will value sober thinking. We will value the work of the Holy Spirit. And we will submit ourselves one to another. You see, husbands and wives and the relationship of a husband and wife are just a part of the illustration of submission. You see, submitting ourselves one to another applies to all leader-follower relationships. It is just not... The followers who, as an equal, submitting to the leader God established in a particular situation, there is a way, in a sense, in which every leader submits to those who follow them. And it especially applies to the husband-wife relationship, and that's what the context of that statement is made. We talked in detail about how a wife, as an equal, submits to the leadership of her husband own husband, as long as he is not doing anything contrary to the God who established him as the authority in that home. And in a certain sense of the word, when a husband unconditionally loves his wife, when he is seeking her good, when he is seeking to please her, when he is seeking her ultimate satisfaction in life and faith, in that certain sense, he is submitting To her. Submit yourselves one to another. There's a story told about a man who was driving with his wife in the passenger seat and his mother in law was in the back seat. And unfortunately, as they drove along, neither one of them would leave him alone. The mother in law would frequently chime in, You're driving too fast. And with about equal frequency, the wife would say, Stay more to the left, you're too close to the edge. And finally, the guy, he became fed up with all the commentary and advice in his driving, he just blurted out to his wife without thinking, who's driving this car, you or your mother? See, the driver, though he's the leader in the car and and picking how everything is done, doesn't always have to go where he wants to go. He can, though he's the leader... Go where those he's striving want to go. You see, wise and godly leaders always look to submit in some ways to those they lead. To find the true needs of those who look to you. And to meet them if you possibly can. You see, a good leader doesn't give people what that leader wants to give them all the time. A good leader is looking for what the people who look to you need. I mean, every husband ought to be looking to you for what your wife really needs and you ought to give her that and you ought to be looking as a parent to what your children really need and give them that. And if you're a spiritual leader in any sense of the word here, you ought to be looking to what the children or adults who look to you in your ministry need. And in that way, we submit ourselves one to another. The joy of mutual submission. I did not say a wise leader always does what those who follow them want to do. I said a wise and godly leader seeks to meet the true needs of those who look to them. I think we all understand that sometimes both children and adults want things that are not good for them. And sometimes want things that are contrary to what God wants for them. And God did put you there as the authority and the leader, representing Him to stand for what's good and right. But I want to tell you, short of those kinds of situations, those who lead are supposed to be looking to do what is good and right for those who look to you. Now this theme of submission is an off-repeated theme in the New Testament. And it's an off-repeated theme because submission goes hand-in-hand with the word humble. And because people have always been people, whether they were uh, in the Garden of Eden or coming out of Egypt or in New Testament days, uh, people have always struggled with humility. And so this subject of submission is an oft-repeated subject throughout the Bible. In fact, Jesus, one of the very first things He said in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christians in Corinth are told to submit to the leadership of Stephanus in 1 Corinthians 16.6. We just read about wives and husbands and our mutual submission as husbands and wives here in Ephesians 5. Followers, and we've read this verse several times in Hebrews 13.17, are taught to submit to spiritual leaders. James reminded believers to be in submission to God in James 4.7. Peter reminded Christians to submit to the laws of man unless they were contrary to the laws of God in 1 Peter 2.13. And our submission, though we all struggle with it, is the opposite of selfishness. Though the word selfish does not occur in the Bible, this idea of selfishness occurs throughout the Bible. You see, we live in a culture consumed with selfishness. Selfishness is one of the strongest natural inclinations and strongest aspects of our fallen nature. There's not a person here tonight, if you were honest, who wouldn't sit back and say, Do you know what? I really struggle with my selfishness from time to time. It is a struggle that we all had. It flares up in our heart. It says to us, I will not submit. I will not obey. I will not follow. Submission not only is the opposite of selfishness, it is the opposite of pride. And pride, as that word is used in the Bible, is never a good thing. In fact, it is actually one of the most grievous sins against God. Now in modern churches you might think the most grievous sin against God is homosexuality. And by the way, that is an abomination in God's sight, along with drunkenness and idolatry and 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 uh, adultery and several other things. But I want to tell you, when God said these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to Him, when He made His hate list, the first thing on that list was a proud look. Our culture is consumed with pride. And along with selfishness, pride is also one of the strongest aspects of your fallen nature and mine. And every one of us here tonight, if we were honest we would sit back and we would say, do you know what? One of the things I struggle with is my pride. In fact, spiritual pride is one of the ugliest versions of pride there is. By the way, I believe every Christian should show up to church. Church. I believe every Christian should read their Bible. I believe every Christian should live a righteous life. I believe we ought to be committed followers of Jesus. But I want to tell you, one of the easiest things to become proud of is when we successfully do the things we're supposed to do as a Christian. And spiritual pride is a really ugly version of pride. And we need to be on guard and beware of it. You see, it is pride that flares up in your heart and mind and says, I will not submit. I will not obey. I will not follow. Whereas what God is teaching us in Ephesians 5.21 is to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. See the mutual submission of Jesus and His disciples when He bows and washes their feet. He was doing what they needed. See Him handling His disciples Clearly at times, like Matthew 16 when He rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. And other times handles them very gently when they fail. You say, why did He do that? Because He always used His authority in their best interest. See the mutual submission of our Creator who challenges us to call upon Him and ask Him for great and mighty things which we don't know about. He could have just as easily said, You know what? Uh... I'll just give you what I feel like giving you. But he didn't do that. He says, you know what? Uh, if you will ask, and you will ask in faith, I'll do great and mighty things which you can't even think about. God did what was in our interest. Uh, keep your hand there in Ephesians 5, but go back to 1 Corinthians 9. Because there's a real good example in an oft-misused New Testament passage. That speaks about Paul's submission to the people he served. See, we have the authority idea wrong. We, we, we want to be the authority so we can boss people around. We want to be the authority so we can tell people what to do. And we want to be the authority so we can be respected. When, when God, He didn't give positions like that. He, he established people as authority to lift those who are around them. See, the mutual submission of Paul using every aspect of his life to help those Around him, look at First Corinthians nine, beginning in verse nineteen. He says, "For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain some. Under the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law." being not without law to God, but under law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. As I said earlier, this is one of the most abused sections by American contemporary Christianity. And they use this to justify uh, ignoring Bible principles and ignoring Bible commands to reach people in our culture. In fact, this actually has nothing to do with ignoring Bible principles and Bible commands and has everything to do with Paul doing and taking whatever aspect of his life best applied to the situation and best related to people and using that to help them. You see, American Christianity is in a big mess today. Uh, American Christianity has never had less effect on America at any time in history that I'm aware of. And that comes because of this simple thing. American Christianity in general today is driven by secular marketing principles and it is driven by this idea that we are going to become more like our culture to reach our culture. I just say that neither one of those things are good. Neither one of those things produces biblical Christianity and strong followers of Jesus. I mean, our culture is ungodly. Our culture is humanistic. Our culture, at best, just has a few remnants of its Christian roots. Paul was an apostle. I mean, his calling and gifts from God were unique. I mean, he's going to have his name on one of the foundations of the city of the New Jerusalem. He's a unique guy, and yet, did you hear his attitude in verse 19? I'm free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. That's mutual submission. That is Paul saying, "I know I'm in charge. I know I have authority. I know God has called me, but I'm going to use what God has given me and what God has made me to serve you." And he gives some illustrations of that. He first talks about how he handles the Jews. When, uh, unto the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain uh, that I might gain the Jews. Uh, he was Jewish, and so he, when he was with the Jews, he used his Jewish heritage to reach the Jews. Notice, when he was among Jews who kept the law, he said to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Uh, By the way, Paul had freedom in Christ to keep the Jewish law. Study the book of Acts. Uh, Listen, he offered sacrifices. He took a Nazarite vow and shaved his head. He went uh, to Jerusalem and kept Pentecost in the temple. He could do that. Why did he do that? To reach people who did that. He used that aspect of who he was as a person. Notice, when he wasn't among the Jews in verse 21, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. When he was with the Gentiles who did not have Jewish culture or Jewish heritage, you know what? He used his freedom in Christ. He didn't have to keep the Jewish diet. He didn't have to go to the temple. He didn't have to keep the Sabbath the way the Jews kept the Sabbath. He was free and he used that freedom. He used his position and his knowledge and his authority to reach those. He used that aspect of who he was. In fact, he's very clear because he understands that what he just said can be easily abused. And it is today. And so just to be extra clear, did you catch that extra little statement he said there? I mean, basically, though I'm not keeping the Jewish law, he said, but I am under the law to Christ. By the way, the law to Christ is a much higher law than the Jewish law. And if you don't believe that, read the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Jesus took the Jewish law that said don't kill, and he said don't hate. Uh, Jesus took the Jewish law that said don't commit adultery. Jesus said don't look on a woman to lust after Jesus took the Jewish law that said love your neighbor. And he said, you know what, I want you to love your enemy. You know, we are under a higher law with a completed New Testament and the finished work of our Savior to do more than any Old Testament Jew ever had. And though Paul did not have to keep the formal ceremonial things of the law because they were fulfilled in Christ, he followed Christ while reaching these people. When he was among those who were struggling, look what he did in verse 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So, What does that mean? It means when he was with people who were struggling, he talked about his struggles. Talked about his problems. He used whatever aspect of his life best reached people for Christ. He became their servant. He submitted what he did, in that sense, to them. Now, if you and I were to put this particular message in our terminology and in our culture, we would do something like this. We would take the part of our background and the part of our testimony that best relates to and helps whoever it is we're talking to to use that aspect to reach them. In that sense, we submit to them. Uh, You know what? If I'm talking to somebody from the country... I talk about growing up on a farm. If I'm talking to somebody who grew up in the city and they went to college, I'll talk about my time in college. If I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know a thing about the gospel and, and grew up without the gospel and the Bible, I'll talk about me growing up without the Gospel and the Bible. If I'm talking to somebody who is uh, raised in church and struggling with following Jesus with the knowledge of the New Testament, I'll talk about what we went through when we were raising our children in the church. It, that's what this is talking about. Find the aspect of your life and your background that best honors Christ and best fits that person without disobeying Christ and use that to reach them. And in that sense, you are submitting to them. You're not just saying, this is an army chow line and you come here and this is what I'm giving you and you put it on their plate that's not what you're doing you are taking your authority and your leadership that God gave you and you are finding uh, what that person needs and how you can relate to them best and in that sense you submit to them to reach them and help them not compromising biblical truth not turning godly music into worldly music to reach the ungodly. Not getting a sleeve of tattoos to reach a tattooed world when God said, don't mark your body. It's not making church more like the world to reach the world. It's not changing our message because the world doesn't like holiness and the world doesn't like separation and the world doesn't like sacrifice and the world doesn't like commitment. I hope you realize what's going on in American Christianity. It is changing what it means to be Christian. I mean, uh, from the New Testament days, what it meant to be Christian is that you are a follower of Jesus, and that Jesus controls your life, and that you sacrificially have your life conformed to Him. That's what it means. That's what being a disciple is. What has changed in our culture is they're trying to make Christianity cool and they're trying to make it casual and it's trying to be something you do a little bit here on Sunday morning instead of something that just completely permeates your life. And Paul didn't compromise what he was doing. He took what part of him best helped them and in that way he submitted to them and gave them what they needed. The point I'm making is this. There is a kind of mutual submission that goes along with any rightful authority of leadership. Pride and selfishness are natural for all of us. God has called us all to something supernatural. To use our authority to submit to their needs. Do you know what makes me glad, among other things? God is interested in helping us in this. There's not a person here who can fill the role God assigned to us in any of these relationships without the help and grace of God. No wife, no husband, no child, no parent, no church member, no spiritual leader, none of us can fill these roles without the help and grace of God. Go back to Ephesians 5. You should have your hand there. Because this all really brings up a good question which is going to consume the last nine minutes of my message. Say, said, Brother Wally, why do you try to finish on time? Because we have nursery workers. By the way, Cheryl told me today we could use some more Sunday night nursery workers. Uh, I, honestly, I've said this from the day we started the church. I would to God that every woman in our church who was physically able worked in the nursery. I'll just say amen there for, for everybody. Amen. And I would to God that every dad in here who has a child in the nursery worked with your wife in the nursery. I, I'd never have understood, never have understood how every woman knows how difficult it is as a young mother. And then now when you're not a young mother anymore, you, you don't serve back in there when you know how important it is. We could use your help. Eh, I got off track. How can I get more victories over the selfishness and pride that besets me and hinders me from submission? How can a wife overcome her selfishness and pride to submit to a husband whose faults and flaws and sins she knows better than anybody? How can a husband unconditionally love his wife whose faults and flaws and sins he knows better than anybody? How can a teenager submit to the authority of their parent whose faults and flaws and sins they know better than anybody? How can a parent love and submit to the real needs of your child when you know their faults and flaws and sins better than anybody? That's a great question. And I believe that long sentence gives us the key in this context. Notice, by the way, I, I believe the great majority of people here tonight want to do that. I mean, that's why you came back on a Sunday night. I mean, you, you came back tonight unless you were forced to come because you want something more than just a casual relationship with Jesus. That, that's why you're here. How can I defeat my selfishness and pride more to fulfill these roles. Notice first, we must be saved and let the Spirit control what we do. Ephesians 5.18 Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, one key to battling prideful and selfish focus of our fallen nature is to choose not just to believe in the Lord Jesus, that's the start of it all, but to be filled with his Spirit. You see, it's very different to have the Holy Spirit control our feelings and our attitudes and our behavior and our beliefs than it is for us to control them, or in this case, it's contrasted with a substance controlling them. By the way, it's pretty obvious to anyone who's interested that drunkenness in the Bible is sinful and completely forbidden. And I don't have time to go into it tonight, but I believe that every faithful follower of Jesus ought to completely abstain from all alcohol. Uh, There's a reason that our leader's covenant here has in that, it has this line. It says, uh, you will not consume or promote any alcoholic beverage. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that Paul said in Romans 14.21, it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor to uh, consume anything that causes your brother to stumble or be offended or made weak. See, God doesn't prohibit drunkenness to ruin our fun. He wants us in our right mind. Anybody who's ever been involved with alcohol will tell you the dumbest things they ever did in their life were some way associated with alcohol. The dumbest things. If you want to see how dumb you can get under the influence of alcohol, get on YouTube and just uh, pull up stupid stunts or something like that. Now, you're going to have to turn the volume down because there's a lot of profanity. And aside from being kind of funny how stupid people are when they're drunk, uh, wow, I mean, people do some dumb stuff. Faithful Christian people should have nothing to do with it. And by the way, just to be extra clear, I believe the same thing about marijuana. I don't care whether it's legal. I don't care if it's illegal. Any substance that modifies your thinking and causes you to not be sober thinking, is sinful. In contrast to the bad influence of alcohol, is the good influence of the Holy Spirit when believers are yielded to Him. Now if you're a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But unfortunately, though the Spirit of God lives in every believer, the Holy Spirit of God does not control very many believers because He will not force His control in people's life. Though He is sovereign and could demand control, He allows to limit Himself and allows us to choose whether we will allow the Holy Spirit to be in control of our words, in control of our actions, in control of our behavior, in control of our attitude. Are you filled with the Spirit tonight? That is one of the greatest things God has given us to battle our selfishness and pride and to mutually submit in these relationships in life. But not only does He ask us to be filled with the Spirit to battle selfishness and pride, look in verse 19. He said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Here's a second thing to battle selfishness and pride sing the right kind of songs. Fill your heart with the right kind of music. It's a key to battling our prideful, selfish focus. Instead of feeding your spirit the kind of things it wants, why don't you feed your spirit the kind of things it needs? There's not a person here tonight who doesn't understand that the music of our culture fuels people's flesh and is sensual in nature. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But here's the thing. Most people don't care. But I'm going to tell you tonight, if you want to get more victories over your selfishness, you want to get more victories over your pride, and you want to have more of God's Spirit in control of your life, you're going to feed your mind and your heart the kind of music that stirs your heart and gives you passion for God. I'm not here tonight for some detailed discussion on that. If you want one, there's a four-message series on our website uh, that what the Bible teaches about music. and uh, go, Listen to it. I'm just here to say this. If your music is grieving or quenching God's Spirit, you are not going to get very many victories over your selfishness and pride. It is a beautiful thing for a follower to submit to rightful authority and for a rightful authority to use that strength to lift and help those that look to Him. And lastly, verse 20, says, Giving thanks always for all things, unto God and the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want more victories over our selfishness and pride, we're going to have to choose to be thankful people. Thankful to God. Thankful to the people around us. See, thankful people focus on what God has given them, not on what they think God should have given them. Thankful people focus on what other people do for them, not on what other people fail to do for them. You see, a thankful heart is one of the best kinds of soil for the Holy Spirit to thrive. He's holy. Are you a thankful person See, if you and I are going to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God, if we are going to fill these roles that God has established, that we've talked about for the last 12 weeks in a way that honors Christ, you and I are not going to be able to do this in our own strength. We need the help of God's Spirit. None of us will ever do it perfectly, but all of us will be able to do this better. When we are yielded to the Spirit, instead of grieving Him with substances that alter our thinking, Music that fuels our flesh and our ungrateful attitude toward God and the people in our life. When's the last time you thanked your spouse for something? When's the last time you thanked your child for what they did? When's the last time you thanked your parent? When's the last time you thanked somebody here for something they did for you? Went to a singer, went to somebody who taught a class, went to somebody who spoke a message. Just said, Well, you know what? Thank you. Or did you just take for granted that somebody plants flowers outside and somebody cleans the building and somebody mows the yard? Somebody puts flowers out in here, somebody runs the sound, somebody plays the instruments. You know, it was just so easy to just take for granted what other people do when in reality a thankful heart is fertile soil for God's Spirit. Let me ask you tonight, as we finish 13 weeks of this subject, how are you doing at filling the roles God assigned you? Our Creator assigned us roles in marriage, in the home, and in the Lord's Church. And if you're struggling... You see, if you're a believer in Christ, the place to turn is the Spirit of God living in you. To be yielded to Him. To be filled with Him instead of grieving Him and quenching Him. If you're struggling, the place to turn is God. Not music. Not substances. Not ungratefulness turn to Christ. And if you're not a believer, it is absolutely impossible to do these things. You need Jesus. He changes people's hearts. He makes people a new creature. The joy of mutual submission. Do you have it? Can I testify? The better By the grace of God over the years that this has been in my home, the better our marriage has been, the more joy it's been. The better I've been able to have this or do this in any relationship I have, the more joy that relationship brings me. That's not because I'm special, it's because God's plan works for anybody who does it. If you would quietly stand tonight.